If you're here, it's because you want to think seriously about your own formation as a kingdom leader. I'm Kevin Minoy, and I invite you to participate in the diverse community of Christian leaders, both anchored and reaching in the work of God. Hang on while we push deep into the crevices of leadership formation, whether as a pastor, educator, organizational leader, or business person. Let's go. Welcome, folks. I'm really glad that you could join us uh, for this episode of this podcast. I'm really glad that you took time to listen to the first chapter of this and try to understand a little bit about the iceberg metaphor, particularly when it comes to describing you as a leader in two dimensions. Remember the duality of your leadership. The bottom of the iceberg represents who you are and the top of the iceberg represents what you are called to do. And the danger is getting that iceberg out of balance, where the center of gravity goes so high that you begin to define yourself based upon what you do. That's a dangerous trap. And if there's nothing else that you hear from anything we talk about, I hope that you will be aware of that and steer clear of performance-based identity. And the best way to do that is to develop yourself, deepen the bottom of your iceberg, which is where the stability, the anchoring, and the texture of your fullness really comes from when it, com- when it comes to acting as a leader. So we've talked a little bit about the iceberg. You've got the picture in your mind that we drew in the last episode, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more here in this conversation. I'm really glad that we have the privilege of uh, talking about this and unpacking it a little bit. Uh, Susanna Fleming's here with me, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. She's, yeah, she's she's got this in mind as well. And so we're just going to invite you to join us in this conversation to listen in. And as we unpack that principle of the iceberg, Susanna, what are some of your thoughts as you've thought about this? And you've kind of lived through some of these things, your observations, your comments, questions, and let's let's see where this will take us. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so grateful to be here having this conversation, love talking about all things ministry, theology, And one of the things that I am most excited about with the iceberg metaphor is that I think it it kind of helps ground a conversation that church leaders are always trying to have, but usually doesn't end up being very practical. So what I mean by that is I think I've heard about a million messages on identity and just like identity being rooted in Jesus, not having your identity be in your performance, all of those things. But that can be a little like, okay, cool. Now, how do I lift that out? And I think metaphors are really helpful in helping us attach um, an emotion to what we're learning and also just really ground it in something real. So the iceberg is super helpful because we know we always hear an iceberg is 10% at the top, but 90% at the bottom and realizing that my performance or the way that I even present myself in the external world is only about 10% of my actual identity, but that there's this deeper portion of who I am that I need to explore and develop. That is a really important thing as a leader. And I think that is important for us as Christian leaders. But Kevin, do you think that this is something that applies outside of the Christian world? Even, you know, if I'm working at a bank or I'm working at a university? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. Because a lot of times in the Christian church, we tend to talk to ourselves. It's almost like what some people call an echo chamber. And we create this this bubble in which we 
we take these truths and we internalize them and then we build another case or another, we put another brick on the wall that separates us from the world, actually. And we assume that what is Christian is is so differentiated from the world that we can't talk about it um, in the world. Well, in reality, much of what we do in leadership, whether it's Christian or non-Christian leadership, emanates from principles that are decidedly Christian in nature. They come out of the nature of how God made us. They come out of the nature of how God wants us to work together, about how God wants us to influence. Now, we don't put the word God on it. We don't put the word Christian on it. But uh, so to the short answer to your question, I think, is absolutely these principles apply outside of the of Christian circles and certainly outside the church. I mean, I remember talking to 300 plus top business leaders in a South American nation and using these same principles that that changed many of their their patterns of thinking. Uh, and I and and frankly, uh, I didn't need to use a lot of Christian language, but after a while they began to go to some of the deeper to the deeper elements of what forms personhood and how they build their lives around a priority. So yeah, absolutely. It's applicable to education, to business, uh, and in the church as well. Great. So now that we've determined that this is a really important concept, no matter what type of leadership you're in, and if you are listening, you are a leader in some regard. If you have anybody who looks up to you for anything, if you have any responsibility, you are a leader. So this is valuable information to you. Now that we've determined how important it is, Kevin, I'm wondering if we can unpack how we can practically develop the bottom part of our iceberg. So we know, okay, we have to develop our identity outside of just our performance, but what are some practical ways that we can implement this into our lives? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and it's not an uncommon question. Uh, before we talk about that, can I can I insert a thought here though? Because I think sometimes people, especially in the church, we get caught up in um, in looking at the details of an answer to a question, and we try to force the detailed answer into our lives. I want people to get the principle of this. I think I even said it at the, at the end of the first episode. Now that you understand the principle of this, take liberties with it and apply it to your life in a way that fits you. So uh, I would say the same is true in responding to this kind of challenge or this kind of question, how do I build the bottom of my iceberg? Well, first of all, don't assume that there's any formula, that there's any one, two, three, four, five stepped approach that is going to build the bottom of your iceberg. Um, Christians and particularly evangelicals are notorious for looking for a formula because it means they don't have to think. Hmm. And, and I, you know, a lot of times it's easier just to implement a formula than it is to stop to understand the principle, to think about it, and then apply the principle to my life in the way that is best applicable to me. So I want us to move away from formulaic, step-by-step implementation of detailed answers and how-tos. Let's think about this as a principle. Now, with that in mind, uh, does that make sense or, or am I? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. You know, it's it's very easy for people uh, to get caught up in that. So, so if we're together on this idea of a principled understanding of applying the iceberg to my life, then I would say there are likewise principles that you can observe that will deepen the bottom of your iceberg. Um, 
and and there are three general categories and 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 I hope that 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 you would apply these differently than I would than anybody else who's listening but the categories involve really one that I call um repeated behaviors you know um repeated behaviors eventually turn into habits, right? I mean, you repeat a behavior long enough and it becomes a habit. Well, in Christian circles, we call repeated behaviors spiritual disciplines. So uh, I, I would rather people hear me say repeated behaviors than spiritual disciplines, because the minute you hear spiritual disciplines, you shut off your mind and you go to, I got to read the Bible, I got to pray, I got to fast and pray, you know, all the stuff. And they lose sight of the principle behind it. Repeat behaviors that are going to develop good habits. And those behaviors are designed to deepen the bottom of your iceberg. Now, some of those repeated behaviors might be praying every day or praying regularly or reading the Bible or being in a small group or occasionally fasting, but don't look at it as a formula. Is that making sense about that principle? Um, uh, Because so that we don't get into a formulaic approach. It's a principled approach. Yes, absolutely. And I actually remember going through a transformation in my thinking regarding spiritual disciplines a few years ago. I used to attach them to this performance mentality, but then I started reading Dallas Willard's book about the spiritual disciplines. And I learned that the more you participate in something, the more that your your brain is even shaped in a particular direction. And as Christians or as leaders or as thought leaders in business, the more that we participate in small habit formation, the more we become the kind of person who does those things. So an athlete's a really great example. When an athlete wants to be a professional, they have to practice. And I don't know why we separate that in our spirituality and make it into this performance-based things. The reality is we want to become the kind of person who does those things. And the only way to do that is by doing them. And have you ever noticed how even in athletics, when somebody repeats their practice over and over and over again, it develops a pattern of thinking. It develops into a lifestyle so that when they run every day or they eat certain foods every day, it develops a mindset. And then once that mindset is established in them, then pretty soon they start doing those behaviors without even thinking about it. See, there's been an external repeated behavior that has changed the identity and the mindset such that now it naturally overflows into behaviors that are consistent with that. That's what I call the process of moving from an exoskeleton to an endoskeleton. You know, now Mm -hmm. I'm introducing a whole other idea, but exoskeleton (laughs) is the skeleton on the outside of the body that forces the body into a certain shape, right? Like a lobster or a a crab or something like that. And, and, and those habits or spiritual disciplines, as many Christians call them, uh, those habits are external pressures that form the internal identity into a certain shape. Well, after a while of repeating that, now all of a sudden the, the life and the mind begins to take on that form naturally. And it moves from an exoskeleton outside pushing in to a skeleton on the inside of who we are that naturally expresses itself from the inside out. 
you see. And without that endo, that internal skeleton, the shape of our activities would be vastly different. But when that becomes part of our identity intrinsically, endemically, now all of a sudden, all the behavior that comes out of the top of the iceberg is going to reflect that skeleton, that identity. So you see the process of external repeated habits that change the identity and change the mindset and eventually then naturally manifest in a way that reflect that identity. Okay. So that's the first piece of advice for developing that bottom of the iceberg. What are the next two? Yeah. Uh, the next two, uh, you know, I, there's lots of spiritual lingo for this, you know, repeated habits. And the next one is what I call um, let others float their boat near your berg. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds very theologically complex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to call it let, you know, the most boats have these little tiny boats that tail along behind them. They call them dinghies. Yeah. So, you know, you, you let somebody else row their dinghy up close to your iceberg. And I'm not sure that everybody knows what those are, but the idea, and, and, and again, when I explain this, people are gonna say, Oh, duh, you're just talking about accountability. No, it's a whole lot more than accountability. Uh, you know, I put it in the category of mutuality, but when you have a little boat that's five miles away from an iceberg and your friend is on that iceberg looking at you, the only part they can see of you is the top of the iceberg because there's like five miles of water. They can't see through the water. They can just see what you're doing and they're going to assess you. They're going to judge you. They're going to evaluate you and they're going to relate to you out of the top of the iceberg. But you move that boat closer and all of a sudden, assuming the water's clear, they can start looking down through the water and they can see what the bottom part of your iceberg is and whether there's consistency between who you are and what you do. Like when I take a boat out to Catalina Island, you float along those, those cliffs of Catalina Island off the coast of California, and you can look down through the water and you can see the rock below the waterline is the same as it is above the waterline. So if somebody is close to you in that circle of mutuality, they are going to be able to see if who you are is what you are doing and there's consistency there. And the biggest traumatic, not traumatic, but some of the most formative moments in my life have been when somebody, and I could tell you the story of, of, of a good friend who has held me accountable, punching me in the chest and saying, Kevin, what you just did is not who you are. And mm -hmm. that kind of mutuality helps me to realize that I am not reflecting who I am. And I need that kind of close in, uh, and people call it accountability or mutuality. Now, you don't open that up to everybody. The people you let float their boats near your bird have to be trustworthy, and you have to be vulnerable to them. Right, absolutely. I remember one time hearing that accountability, even though that gets a bad rap because it's about calling people out on their sin, should really reflect us keeping people accountable to their abilities. So calling out their abilities and calling them to that. This is who you are. This is what you're capable of. This is the gift that God has given you. Now live up to that standard. And so I understand why you don't like using accountability, but I think we've just completely watered down what an accountability partner is even supposed to be. It's supposed to be somebody who, as you said, makes sure and helps you live up to who you actually are. Yeah. And partially that's because th they have your best interest at heart and they have mature enough eyes to be able to see how God made you 
And in some respects, they see things about you that you don't even see about yourself, and they call you to higher level of living. That's why it is mutuality. That's a kingdom principle. Accountability, eh, you can make a case that that's a kingdom principle, but I don't see it that much. I see mutuality in scripture much more than I see accountability. So this is a deeply mutual relationship. And again, there are going to be very few people. Not everybody can be in that close to you, right? You don't let everybody float their boat within five or 10 meters or, or yards of your iceberg. Okay. Hey, what was that third category that you mentioned that helps us build the bottom of the iceberg? Yeah, that one's a little bit more difficult to describe, but I guess I would say that it is the very deeply spiritual moment when you put yourself in a posture and the creator speaks to the created. And the best place I know to go is Paul in Romans. His spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am truly a child of God. And in the moment when God visits us, you don't come away from that unchanged. It forms you deeply. That's probably the most important one. (laughs) Just like (laughs) looking at God, looking at you in love and allowing him to transform you. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. And, and and sometimes we minimize that as being super spiritual, when in reality, it's really profound. Exactly. So now we've talked through how you develop that bottom part of your iceberg. And again, so important for every category of leader. Now I really think we should spend some time talking about the ramifications of not developing our identities. And the reason is because I think we can see a lot of those ramifications playing out in culture, not to call anyone out, but all of us can probably think about a leader who has failed um, both inside and out of the church. Think about friends and family members who withered under the pressure of finances, of performance-based pressure coming down on them. And so I think it'd be worth it to spend some time talking about the ramifications, not to scare us, but just so you really understand how important this is. Yeah. You're going to ask me the question, but can I flip this around (laughs) and ask you? I mean, you are so in touch with with current culture. I mean, that's what you do in social media and writing and, and copywriting and all of the stuff where you're in touch with. I mean, I would love your thoughts about you you know understanding this principle you know in what you see in the landscape what do you see as the ramifications if we don't pay attention to this i mean because you've seen a lot of this happen yeah well i guess just so everybody has a little bit better understanding of my background i have a master's in intercultural studies which is kind of the intersection between culture and faith and i am involved in the church space with copywriting and so i have a pretty good handle on different things happening in culture And I think a pretty obvious one that I mentioned before is that when people aren't developing that bottom part of their iceberg, when they're not making sure their identity is rooted in Jesus and not performance, you end up with things like performance-based leadership, moral failure in the church. So we have a lot of examples of that recently that have showed up in the news of pastors who have morally failed, who have compromised financially. And so I don't, again, I don't want to name those people because I want to be honoring. I know we're on a, a journey of you know, sin and following Jesus, but we do not want that to be us. So it's really, really important for us to continue to develop our identity. A practical example, I think, um, that is maybe more immediate to most of us, if you're a church leader, is that if we're not focused on our identity being in the right place and we're in this kind of performance-based identity cycle, 
it's pretty easy, easy for us to begin making church leadership decisions that are based on a um, building our own kingdom mentality, on kind of a, you know, producing a bunch of things mentality instead of what the Holy Spirit is actually saying to us at the time. So for example, it'd be really easy to try to throw a conference that gets the most amount of people there and is the most attractive to the most amount of people versus throwing a conference that has a topic matter that we feel like the Holy Spirit is telling us to share, but maybe won't be as attractive to a large group of people. In that scenario, it's really important that we follow the Holy Spirit, not what is going to perform better, right? But if we're not rooted deeply in our identities in Christ, it's going to be very easy, easy for us not to be able to tell the difference. So a lot of it um, comes down to our ability to discern where God is leading us. And if our identity is not deeply rooted, discernment really gets watered down and diluted by all the things that the world is trying to convince us are the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's really well put. It's almost like when we ignore the bottom of the iceberg, there are plenty of things vying for our attention, not yes. the least of which is uh, profile image, how popular we are, how many people we're preaching to, how much money we collected, how many programs we're starting and all of that. Now the, the problem of course, is that every institution in the world, everyone, including the church, measures effectiveness or measures success by top of the iceberg metrics. How many people did you have in church last Sunday? How much money did you collect? What's your debt? Uh, all of that. So ev higher education, uh, elementary education, secondary education, business, what are the outcomes? Uh, what are the Q1, Q2, Q3 reports? Mm -hmm. um, the church is no exception to that because they are institutional manifestations of the kingdom and every institution created by people measures success based upon observable, empirical, measurable, temporal data. So would you say that's a bad thing? Well, it's not bad. It's just when we lose sight at the bottom of the iceberg, we are naturally tilted toward performance-based identity because human nature is you always study for the test, right? If you know what's going to be on your test, you study for what's going to be on your test. If you know what your business or your church leader or your school leader is going to be measuring, you're going to study and you're going to do best at that. Well, the minute you do that, you tend to neglect the weightier matters of the law, right? You tend to neglect what's in the bottom of the head because nobody can see that. And so that's why it's so vital that we, that we talk to each other about building the bottom of the ice. I tell people, go build big bottoms. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it, let's help each other with that. Let's talk about how important that is. I mean, it wasn't until I started focusing on this priority that the pattern of one moral failure every six months in a group of churches among senior pastors uh, started to stop. It, mm -hmm. You know, I can put band-aids on this all day long. I can bring in counselors and psychologists and have group therapy meetings and all that. But it isn't until we start focusing on who we are. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about ministry identity. Uh, it isn't until we start talking about who we are and anchoring ourselves deeply below the waterline that we find the stability of a, of a secure identity that will not capsize when the tempests and the top of the water and the temptations of performance come at us because mm -hmm. we all want to live up 
people's expectations. Yeah. And I think the takeaway for the people listening is really challenge yourselves to not make the metric of your success, other people's expectations, but really focus even in this next year on making the metric of your success, how deeply you can grow your roots into your identity. And I promise you that when you do that, it's going to pay off in your life. Yeah, that's a really good exhortation to use an old, old word. (laughs) Uh, I hope that's okay to use old words because they're still pretty good. I would say if you want to get into a little bit more on this, uh, there's a book uh, called The Integrity Factor. Uh, there's also a book called 15 Characteristics of Effective Pastors. That's that's not just applicable to pastors, but obviously it's written for them with pastors in mind. And then you want to check out more uh, more videos on, on my YouTube channel. You're welcome to do that. It's all in the show notes. Uh, go there and find out. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time that we get together that we'll be talking a little bit more about this in, with a focus on ministry, identity, vocation, and calling, those kinds of things. Thanks so much, Susanna. Thanks to everybody. Look forward to having you with us again next week. Bye. Let me encourage you that who you are is more important than what you do. The lure of defining yourself by your performance is stronger than you might think. So join me in upcoming weeks as we explore the whole leader God created you to be.